Molo, Sawona, Jumbo, and welcome to Every Nation Durban. You can find us in big cities like London, New York, Paris, and Joburg. You can also find us in nations like Bangladesh, Botswana, China, and even Hawaii. In Durban, we have a local vision of being a healthy church that starts other healthy churches. Our mission is reach, disciple, impact. We want to reach every person, every campus, and every nation. Join this mission to honor God and advance His kingdom. No one. <laughs> I'm not gonna dance. <laughs> one, two. Am I coming through? I think I'm on. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Woo! It's good to see you again. And uh, I'll, I'll be at 50 in the room. Uh, looking forward to the days that we can just open the doors a little bit more. And uh, thank you to all those faithful online viewers. Really. I appreciate you guys logging in this morning. If you have a Bible, let's get into the Word. Open it to, drumroll please, the book of the Revelation. Ooh, ooh. The book of the Revelation, let's go there. We're going to go to chapter 13. And uh, I know, like some of us, when we think about this book, we just go, ooh, this is hectic, you know, the... We're opening up the book of the Revelation this morning. We're going to be talking about the mark of the beast. And um, yeah, I know sometimes we just have this like expectation when we pre- preach from this chapter that it's all just going to be fearful and doom and gloom. But actually, the book of the Revelation is an amazing book. And it can be summed up in one word, and that is the word victory. It is about the victory of Christ, the victory of the church. It's about the victory that God implements and brings heaven to earth and, and, and finishes uh, sin off and, and brings his kingdom and establishes it like he's promised to do. So it's a story of victory. Um, but the reason why we're going there today to the book of the Revelation, and in particular we're going to be talking about the mark of the beast, is because... Things have been feeling slightly apocalyptic lately. I'm sure you can agree. There has been some, there's been a number of things happening in the world right now that have led many Christians to wonder, like, is this the mark of the beast? Is this the end times? Is this what's going on? And, and some of those things have been the, the fact that churches have been closed in the last year and a half or year more. Yeah. You know, the ch- churches have been forced to close and, uh, and there's been many churches that have like, re- like, stood against this and try to defend their rights to, to, to keep gathering people and pastors have been even arrested in multiple nations, including our own nation. Um, and, and so, the, and a lot of people are asking, is this a war against Christianity? Is this a war against our faith? Is this some subtle way to, to stop Christians from worshiping? And then there's been the treatment of COVID-19 through all of this. And there's just been a, a dominant narrative being portrayed about this vaccine being our only hope is this vaccine and, and, and there's no other way and, and this, and everybody has to get vaccinated. And now that all these vaccines are being outrolled and everybody's getting jabbed, 
we're starting to see vaccine passports being implemented in many nations. And people are asking, like, well, what is this? People can't access restaurants, conferences, gyms, uh, public uh, places like swimming pools, stuff like that. Even schools are, are, are now taking it to the next level where kids might not even be allowed to come back to their school unless they have a vaccine passport. We know you're not allowed to travel without a vaccine passport. And people are asking, is this like the mark of the beast? Because isn't there something about this in the Bible? I mean, even in India, of all nations, everybody who's getting vaccinated now is getting a QR code, a digital certificate, which you, you can display on your cell phone or something like that. Employees, are, I mean, employers, sorry, are even saying to their employees, uh, putting pressure on them and saying, you might not be able to come to, back to work unless you get vaccinated. And so all of this has been bringing a lot of attention to the book of the Revelation. And in the book of the Revelation, in chapter 13, there's a particular verse in there where it talks about um, this beast that causes humanity to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads in verse 16, and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And the question is, is this what we're seeing in the world today? Our beloved and honored man, uh, who I seriously honor and admire amazingly is Chief Justice Mocheng Mocheng. He was at a, at a hospital, Tembisa Hospital, a little while back, and he, he was there to pray, and he said the following, quote, unquote, he said, if there be any COVID-19 vaccine that is the work of the devil, that's meant to infuse triple six into the lives of the people, meant to corrupt their DNA, may it be destroyed by fire. Now, what he said, all right, in that moment, I mean, obviously he's come under a lot of fire for that. <laughs> um, but he's been expressing a lot of what a lot of Christians are concerned about. You know, what is actually in this vaccine? Will it somehow alter my DNA? Will it somehow make me unsaved? Has it got the ability to make me not human anymore and therefore not a child of God and not be able to relate to God? Will it take away my salvation in some way? And is this vaccine passport the mark of the beast? Is it something that's putting a restriction on me so that I can't buy, sell, or trade, or travel? So what I could do in this message this morning is like take us through the whole of chapter 13, which we will do, and wait to give you an answer at the end and let you just... <laughs> <laughs> struggle. <laughs> but I thought, let me just get it all out in the beginning, okay? <laughs> and put you out of your pain. And please, though, stay logged in for those who are online. There is some awesome stuff to come. My answer in my study of the scripture is no. I don't believe that the COVID-19 vaccine is the mark of the beast, okay? Um, neither is your credit card. And neither is your ID number which are also both items that you need for engaging in the economy of the world as well and for travel, etc. The Seventh-day Adventists would love us to believe that the mark of the beast is actually worshipping God on Sunday. And they have an entire theology around it about how if you worship God, if you don't worship God on Saturday, but you worship God on Sunday, that is actually the mark of the beast. You're buying into the mark of the beast, which I want you to know is theological error. It's, it is not good theology. It does not hold up in the Bible. And it's also not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13 is very specific. It goes into your right hand or on your forehead. And it's a sign of your allegiance 
or obedience to the beast over Jesus Christ. In Revelation 14, judgment comes to those who worship the beast and receive his mark. Which means this, which means that receiving the mark has got something to do, it, it, in some way it, viol- it will violate your love and obedience and worship to Jesus directly. There will definitely be a trade-off. There will be definitely like you will know. It's not going to catch you by surprise. It's, you will know that if you choose this, you are ch- you're not choosing your love and obedience to Jesus Christ, but to something else, this beast that we see in Revelation. Credit cards, ID numbers, vaccine passports, they don't go into our hands or our heads. They don't violate our worship and obedience to Christ. Many of you have had the vaccine and I saw you dancing and celebrating to Jesus this morning. Okay, so go figure. When it comes to the issue of being vaccinated or not, I want to say that I believe that this is a health decision. Just like every other health decision there is, alright? And therefore it's a decision for personal conviction. It's a decision that you have to make for yourself. Alright? And because at the end of the day it's your body. Some of you have asked, and, and I'll say it up here, that Trish and I have chosen not to get vaccinated at the moment. <laughs> the reason is because we, we want to make an informed decision. And uh, I'm not saying that other people haven't made an informed decision, but we are not yet at a place where we feel like we are fully informed. And we don't want to make a decision that we're going to regret later, and we don't want to make a decision out of fear, and we don't want to make a decision because everybody else is doing it. Um, And to some of you, that might seem irresponsible, and I just ask you for patience, please. (laughs) You know, taking a jab for some people is like taking a panado. It's like... Go get the jab, take a panado. For other people, taking a panado is a big deal that requires prayer and fasting. So we are all different on this issue. There are a number of things that Trish and I have found quite alarming around this debate on vaccination. And one of them is the censoring, the cyberbullying, and the shutting down of research and medical and health information that differs from the narrative of your only hope is the vaccine. And, um, and I'm not talking about conspiracy theorists because there are those out there. I'm not talking about sensationalists and I'm not talking about anti-vaxxers. I am talking about highly qualified, respectable medical professionals who have been cyberbullied, shut down, removed off the internet because they have spoken up against the vaccine. And I think that's wrong. And I don't know what's going on, but I w- I'd like to know a little bit more and wait and see what's, what's coming out from these other professions. There's also a huge amount of coercion that's going in, even threatening in certain places, in certain situations where people are being threatened to get the vaccine. And if they don't, they might lose their job, they might not be able to travel, they might lose out on various things. And I want to say that I also think that's wrong. I think that's very, very wrong. So... You know, for Trish and I, we're students. We're learning. We've given ourselves to, to study. We, we're wanting to know what's going on. That, that's where we're at. Okay, And I'm just sharing that this morning because 
I want us just to like just be a little bit open and transparent about this topic. We're all in different places. Let's respect where everybody's at. Let's not be judgmental towards each other. Let's not let this be an issue that divides us. And oh, did you get the vaccine? Or now you can't. You know, are you really part of us? Maybe you should find a new connect group. Uh, you know, like let's. At the end of the day, guys, let's let's, let's stop being ridiculous about this. Okay, this is a, a an issue for personal conviction, and um, and that's where we are. At the, on this issue. So, amen. amen. Let's go home and let's enjoy the rugby. <laughs> no, look, I, I still think that there is tremendous value this morning in us talking about the mark of the beast. And so I want us to go and read Revelation chapter 13 because I think there's a tremendous value for where we are today and in the world. Amen? amen. Are you okay? Amen. All right. So we're going to read, we're going to, let's read the whole chapter of Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. And, um, let's just pray before we do. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good and that everything good in our lives starts with this word. This word brings life. It brings healing and it brings direction. And we treasure this word more than our daily bread. We boldly confess, Lord, that our minds are alert and our hearts are receptive. And we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. Verse 1 says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems or crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Can you say like a leopard? Its feet were like a bear's. Can you say like a bear? And its mouth was like a lion. Say like a lion. And to it the dragon gave his power, his throne, and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and they worshipped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months or two and a half years, three and a half years, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear to let him hear, if anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. Can you say that? Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. <laughs> we messed that up. Can we say it again? Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. What is this all about? This is about, this is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast. Can you say, oh no? 
another beast <laughs> rising out of the earth. This time, the first one came out of the sea. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes, war, makes the earth and its inhabitants, inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives. Deception is a big thing in this chapter. It deceives those who dwell in the earth, telling them to make an image of the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And he was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not work the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great. Here it is. Both rich and poor. Are you ready? Both free and slave. Are you there? To be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is six. Six, six. This is not an easy chapter. What is going on here? This sounds like something out of the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbits. What is happening in this passage? All right, well, there's a, as soon as we come to the book of the Revelation, I want to just leave you with these, these three keys, all right? There's three keys to, to approaching this book. Or, or you could say these are different glasses that you can put on when you look at this book. And the first set of glasses that you can put on when people read this book is the glasses of the first century church. In other words, we've got to remember that this book was written to believers, to seven actual churches in Asia Minor. That, that, that this was addressed to believers in a certain context, going through a certain thing. And so, when we read this book, it's, it's not important. It's, it's important to before we say, "What does this mean to us?" We must ask the question, "What did it mean to them?" All right. So, so when we approach it, and this is a, this is. For all scripture, okay, this is for every book in the Bible, is, is to put on, before we say, what does it mean to us? What did it mean to them? What were they actually saying? Because if we ask what it means to us first, then we can go down rabbit trails and we can get lost. But if we put ourselves firmly in the context of when it was written, we can understand things better, okay? So that is, that is, that's the first glasses that we should put on when we look at the book of the Revelation. The challenge with that, it works well with every book, but with this book, the challenge is this, is that a lot of what is happening in this book is beyond the first generation, beyond that first century of believers. It's, it actually talks to the end of times. It talks to the generation that's even present when Jesus returns, which could be us. Okay, so there's a challenge with that view. All right, so we're going to put those glasses on. There's a there's a second pair of glasses, and that is your end time glasses. All right, and when, and that's when you look at this book like a crystal ball. It's something that's telling you the future. All right, and the challenge when you come to it with with these end time glasses on is that you start looking for world events and you try and pin them on these scriptures, and it leads to many subjective interpretations. So during the Cold War. People saw Russia as the beast. Ronald Reagan's full name adds up to 666. Saddam Hussein was then the Antichrist. Then everybody thought, when the United Nations was formed, everyone was like, no, this must be the Antichrist. 
Fast forward to today, and the word corona adds up to 66. There's six letters in the word corona, and there, and so that's also maybe a sign. The word vaccination also adds up to 666. Is this now the mark of the beast? also want you to know, before you start getting worried, that Santa Claus also adds up to triple six. <laughs> and through simple gematria, I had to check... My name only adds up to 68, all right? So I'm just, <laughs> that brings you peace this morning, great, you know? <laughs> but I'm just stating it for the record, okay? <laughs> so those are the two glasses. We can look at it through the first century believers, but then we can put these end time glasses on, and there's challenges with both. And then there's another way to look at this book, and that is to look at, at it metaphorically. Is to say, no one, you know what, this book is all just about types and symbols and, and, and what we should do actually when we approach this book is just draw out principles, warnings, commendations and, and see how we can apply them in our lives. This kind of view of the book says, no, this is not a map to the end of time, it's a compass. You know, a map is like specific, go down this road, go to this destination, find this address. A compass is like, that's north. All the best, you know. And they, and they like to look at this book and say, okay, this is like telling us what the end is going to be like. So let's just, it's a compass, people. We're going to find our way as we go. Um, the challenge with this view of the book is that if we only look at it metaphorically, then we might miss out on some very real prophetic guidance, insight, and warnings as well. So there's challenges with whatever way we look at this book. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this chapter in the time that I have available. Thank you, Lord, for your help. We're going to look at it with all three on. Are you okay? Do you understand what we're doing? Okay, so let's put on our first century believer glasses and look at this text. What do we, what do we see over here? Well, firstly, we see there's this dragon, then there's a first beast, and then there's a second beast. And then there's this mark of the beast that comes later. So the dragon, I just want to say, and what, no matter what glasses you put on, it's obvious. Okay, the dragon is Satan. Okay, the, the, you don't need to. You, it's, if you read chapter 12, the, before that, you'll see that it's very clearly the dragon is Satan. Okay, so so what we see in this passage is that Satan, this dragon, gives name, his name, authority, and power to this beast. And this beast comes out of the sea, and it's like a lion, it's like a leopard, and it's like a bear, and it's got ten horns on it. And then there's a second beast that comes out of the land, and it's got two horns like a lamb. Now, if you were a first century believer, and you were reading these words of John, that would immediately set off bells in your mind. You would immediately go, oh, I've heard this before. I've, I know exactly what you're talking about here, John. Why? Well, because if you go read Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, you'll see that Daniel has a vision of four beasts as well. And guess what? One is like a leopard, one is like a bear, and one is like a lion, and the fourth one has ten horns. So, so what we're seeing is, 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 is something that's been written before. So it's almost like a, it's another layer to what maybe Daniel saw. So anyone in the first century who's reading this would be like, hang on, I know this. I know this. I've read this before. And what's amazing about the book of Daniel is that there's an angel in the book of Daniel who interprets and tells Daniel what the four beasts represent. He tells him that the lion represents Babylon. They represent four kingdoms. The bear represents Medo-Persia. 
which was the Medo-Persian Empire that took over from the Babylonians. The leopard represents the Greek Empire. The beast with ten horns represents the Roman Empire. So these, the beasts are empires. It's very interesting that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a massive, impressive, incredible statue with gold and silver and bronze and then metal and, and, and clay. And this is a very impressive statue and he doesn't know what it means. And, and then Daniel is able to interpret it and it is exactly the same thing. It's the Babylonian kingdom at the head, then it's the Medo-Persian empire in the breast, and then it's the, the Greek empire, which is the bronze and then it's the Roman Empire. And he was basically saying there's going to be four empires that are going to come upon the earth. And it's very interesting that, so, so this is what we know already, okay? And, and, it's, and it's very interesting how Nebuchadnezzar sees this as a big impressive statue. But God looks at these kingdoms and gives a different picture that these are grotesque beasts. Like we, we, we're pretty impressed by certain things. And God looks at them as beasts. Right? Now, first century believers would immediately link the two. And they would be like, oh, okay, Daniel wrote about this. These are empires that are going to come. And then they would place themselves in the story and they would realize that, hang on, we're in the time of the fourth empire. We can look back over history. We can see that the Greeks did come. We can see that the Medo-Persians did come. And they were all before the Babylonian empire. And so now they have a location. They're able to locate themselves and go, oh, this is where we are right now. We're in the time of the fourth empire. empire that's being established on the earth and it would have made a whole lot of sense to them because when you look at what they were facing in the roman empire a lot of it is there in revelation chapter 13 they were dealing with roman imperial worship i mean to give you an idea caesar augustus actually took on the title son of god Domitian demanded to be addressed as both Lord and God. That is, what did we just read in Revelation 13? We read about blasphemous names, proclaiming themselves to be like God. So these Caesars, these, this empire is, is clearly for these guys the beast and this blasphemy that's taking place is exactly what's happening in their world around them. They're like, yes, this is... And and they had to worship Caesar. And if they didn't worship Caesar or the image of Caesar, then they were killed. And and so... And this is exactly what happened in in the days of Daniel. So God gives this vision to John in the days of the Roman Empire. He gives it to Daniel in the days of the Babylonian Empire. What happened in the days of the Babylonian Empire? Nebuchadnezzar... Why were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the fire? Because they would not worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar and him as God. Why was Daniel thrown in the lion's den? Because he would not pray to Nebuchadnezzar. He wouldn't recognize him as God. All right, And so he was thrown into a lion's den. In the first century, what do we see happening? Christians who did not worship Caesar were burnt alive. They were thrown to lions in the Colosseum. So if you were a first century believer, you would be looking at all of that. And, and then what the story then in Revelation 13 does for you is it gives you a spiritual context for the reality that you're facing. So this would have greatly encouraged them. They, what they would have taken out of this is that, oh, it's the dragon, it's Satan who is behind these kingdoms. It is him who's causing all this blasphemy and this persecution and this, and this, um, 
killing that's taking place. When it comes to the mark of the beast, he says, here is wisdom. You can work it out. His number is 666. If you take Caesar Nero's name in, in Gematria, which is like, in Hebrew Gematria, which is like every letter in Hebrew has a numerical value. If you add up Caesar Nero's name with a, in that numerical value, it adds up to 666. Okay. Believers could have put that two and two together very quickly in that day and realized, oh, that is what's going on. Buying and selling in those days, if you, well, zero, uh, zero. Caesar's image was Nero, was on every coin. It was on every stamp. It was on shipping bills. It was, it was very hard to buy, sell, transact without acknowledging Caesar. And, and in, in those inscriptions, he was inscribed as God as well. So it was, it was very difficult for Christians to engage in commerce. They even had trade guilds in the, in the Roman Empire that were dedicated to pagan worship. And if you wanted to be part of this trade guild, then you needed to participate in pagan worship. And so Christians couldn't buy, sell, or be involved in that because, uh, because of that. They had, to, they had to abstain from that, and they were persecuted for that. So first century believers would you agree, would have been actually quite encouraged by this. This would have given spiritual context to them. You still with me? Anybody agree? Okay. All right. Good. All right. That, that's, that's our first pair of glasses. Let's put on the second pair of, the third pair of glasses, which is the metaphorical view of this passage. And let's squeeze it for some more meaning. Can we do that? We're like, we're grabbing a, a, an orange today and we're giving it a good squeeze. We're going to get everything out of this chapter, Okay. So, in Revelation 13 here, if we put these these next specs on, I want to draw your attention to verse 2b. It says, it says, and to the dragon, and and to it, the beast, the dragon gave what? His power, his throne, and great authority. So we have the dragon, and we have this first beast, and what is the dragon doing? It's giving power, authority, and a throne to this first beast. Look at verse 3. It says, One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the the fatal wound had been healed and the whole earth was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Does that sound familiar to you? Where is that? What is that triggering in your mind? Isn't that Jesus? Didn't, didn't Jesus also have a fatal wound? And yet, I'm asking, like, yes, he did have a fatal wound. Alright, he's still marked with, with, with where the cross went into him. He had a fatal wound, but he was healed and he's alive again. And doesn't Father God give to Christ his power, his throne, and great authority? Doesn't the world follow, marvel at Jesus and we follow Jesus? So if we look at this first beast, what we're actually seeing here is a false Christ, a false savior, a counterfeit savior, a counterfeit Lord. Then look at this. Look at the second beast, okay? And I'll just like show you some of the highlights. When we're describing the second beast, what do we see? It carries the authority of the first beast. It performs signs and wonders, even calling fire down from heaven. It gives breath, clue, and causes everyone to worship who? The first beast. And he deceives the world. Does that sound like an opposite of something you know? Doesn't that sound like the opposite of the Holy Spirit? 
The Holy Spirit carries the authority of Jesus and the Father. And he performs signs and wonders in our midst. And at Pentecost, he came like a flame of fire. We know that he glorifies Jesus. In John 16, Jesus said, this is what the Holy Spirit will do. He will glorify me. He will empower you to worship me. He will bring attention. The Holy Spirit, when he arrives, man, he brings attention to Jesus. And, and the celebration of Jesus. And he empowered. Didn't you feel that in worship today? Just this like, this is power flowing to what? To give him praise. To give him adoration. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit in our midst. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. Empowering us to see and believe and worship Jesus. And then this, the, the second beast deceives the world. But the, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And he convicts the world of what is right and what is wrong. So the second beast is the opposite of the Holy Spirit, a counterfeit spirit. And so what we're actually seeing in this passage, and this is like it really pops open when you, when you notice this, we're seeing a counterfeit trinity. Right? Just like we have Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we have the dragon, the first beast, which is a false antichrist, and then we see the second beast, which is like a false antichrist. Spirit, all right, the spirit of the Antichrist. And the same thing, what we notice here with the mark of the beast. If we're looking at it through the metaphorical specs, okay, what do we notice about the mark? Well, a few chapters earlier in Revelation 7 and verse 3, you can just page there, Revelation 7 verse 3, it says this, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. God also has a seal or a mark. And where does he place it? On the foreheads of who? The saints, his believers. Now remember, this is also, we're looking at this through first century believers. They would also have noticed a mark on my head and on my hands. They would have also immediately in their minds thought about Deuteronomy chapter 6. And verse 6 to 8, which says, These words which I command you shall be in your heart. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands, or a mark on your hand, and they shall be as frontlet between your eyes. So this mark of the beast is a counterfeit mark. It's a counterfeit trinity. It's a counterfeit mark. It's, this is what Satan does. He just mimics God. Okay, He just copies God. He doesn't come up with anything original. He's just looking at what God's doing. He's like, well, I need to get some of that. you know, And, and tries to do what God is doing. Why? Because he wants to be God. He wants to usurp. He wants to be in charge and in, in, in authority over the world. So the mark of the beast is an imitation mark. At a metaphorical view, if we're just looking at it metaphorically, it's Satan doing what God does. And we are sealed, the Bible says, in Christ. God knows that we are his, and Satan is doing something similar. So those who look at this book with these glasses on would argue that the mark of the beast is not something that's visible it's something metaphorical. It's what Satan does to mark those who are his. It's like a copy of what God does to us in the spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. Are you still with me? Yeah. Let's squeeze some more. Can you say squeeze? squeeze. <laughs> We're told that this mark 
is the mark, what, what is, it's the number of a man and it's 666. What is the symbolism or the metaphorical, allegorical kind of understanding of the number 666? Well, six in the Bible is the number of, of man. Man was made on the sixth day. Alright? 666. Three in the Bible is completeness. Alright? So Trinity is three. Alright? Jesus was raised on the third day. Alright? There's, it's a, it's about a complete work. So when we talk about 666, we're talking about the completeness of man. Alright? That's what this, this number represents. It's the complete or fulfillment of, or the ultimate expression of man on the earth. And the problem with six is this. Is that it's not seven. <laughs> seven is the number of perfection. God works in sevens. If you notice, the book of the Revelation is all about sevens. There's seven churches, seven seals, seven bowls, seven trumpets. It's all about sevens, okay? God does everything in sevens. He created everything in six days, but then he said, hang on, seven days. Alright, he made the seventh day, and on the seventh day, what did he say? This is the Lord's day. So man, by himself, without God, is 666. That's what the number represents. It's the, it's like it's humanism. We don't need God, we can do it ourselves. It's the full, it's like we, we trust in science. We trust in our philosophies. We, we, we don't need a savior. We'll invent our own savior. Medical science will save us. The, or physics will save us. Or we'll, we'll eventually get there somehow in some way, but we don't need any other help. We don't need God. But it's 666. It's the ultimate expression of man trying to think that he is God, all right, or assuming the position of God. Let's squeeze some more. Can you say squeeze? Bank that. Key word in this whole passage that we've looked at in, these 13, in, in chapter 13 is the word worship. Did you notice that it came up there? Okay, what, what, was, what was the whole goal of the dragon here? He wanted worship. Okay, he wanted worship. So the, this, is, this is what he desires. What did Satan come and tempt Jesus with in the wilderness? He said, I will give you all these kingdoms of the world if you and you worship me. He's after worship. He wants the adoration. He wants the praise. He wants the devotion. He wants the obedience of people unto himself. What's interesting, all right, is that when it says that the mark of the beast is the mark of a man, it's 666. It's very interesting because this gives us an idea of what devil worship really looks like in the world. Often we think devil worship is, ah, we're going to dress in black and put on those like pentagrams and red candles and we're going to like do some voodoo or whatever and that's devil worship. No, devil worship is actually, you see, look at that, look at that, look in that passage. The, the dragon is actually okay with us worshipping the beast. What is the beast? It's, it's, it, okay, the beast could be a kingdom, it could be a king, it could, be, it could represent anything on this earth. See, what we learn is this, is Satan is actually quite happy with you worshipping anything but God. <laughs> you don't have to give him praise, you don't have to say praise Satan or something like that. You can just 
worship money and comfort or sex or your sports team or, I don't know, yourself at the end of the day. You, you just come up with your own little philosophy. Like, uh, I, I, I think, you know, I think God won't judge people. I think, I, I think, I don't think a loving God will send people to hell. I, I don't believe that. I think that He will let us all in. Okay, great. Where'd you get that idea? No, that's my idea. <laughs> it's devil worship. It's devil worship. It's an idea that comes from the pit of hell. It's an idea that will rob you of eternal life. Why? Because it's an idea that does not give honor to the lamb that was slain and was raised on the third day. It doesn't honor the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus, when Peter rebuked Jesus, why did he rebuke Jesus? Because Jesus was telling him, I'm going to go to the cross and die for the sin of mankind. What did Peter say? Far be it from you, Lord. You should not do such a thing. How did Jesus treat that thought? Get behind me. Who? Satan. Why? What was the reason after that? Because you're mindful of the things of man and not God. Mindful of the things of man and not God. What we see in this passage, this is about Worship. This is a battle for worship of the saint. And the dragon is happy for you to worship anything. You can come up with some little philosophy about how you think when we die we turn into aliens and then we go to another planet and then we plant trees and we dance around trees and that's how the world's going to... He's okay with that. All right. He's okay with you believing in communism. He's okay with you believing in anything that will exclude God or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe in yourself. Believe in a tree. Whatever. He doesn't mind. Whatever. Just do not worship, give true worship. And that's what this chapter is after. And this is what's giving us revelation and insight here. Is that if we are to be true worshippers and followers of Jesus, then we are to hold firm to the gospel of Jesus Christ as our only point of saving. That this is it. And that we preserve ourselves and we preserve our lives and we give ourselves to that and that alone. And that is what we proclaim and that is what we teach and we hold on to it no matter what. In this chapter, the way that the dragon got worship was through this word called deception. Worship deception. How does he get worship? Deceives you. So there is a work of deception in the world, in the world today to make people think that they are fine without God or they can have their own savior. There's this deception at work. This, and that's what the job of the second beast is. This anti, this false Holy Spirit. It deceives mankind into worshiping something other than Jesus. That might be Islam, that might be Hinduism, that might be Buddhism or Sikhism or ancestralism or whatever. All of these propose other ways. And typically we wouldn't say that they're satanic, but at the end of the day, the bottom line is they are. They come from Satan. And he's really okay with you believing in any of them except one. Why is there one name that's blasphemed on all your movies that you love to watch? (laughs) There's one name. That comes out, that, that is spoken with disgust or in, as a swear word, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that that is the spirit of deception. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. 
at work through multiple ways and multiple means to bring you to a place where you will not trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on in this chapter. It's a battle for worship. If he can't deceive you to worship, what does he then do? Persecution. Persecution comes next. He tries to restrict you from buying and selling. You can't enter this economy unless you believe what we believe. Coercion. All right, wherever we see coercion, wherever we see people getting forced to do things and, and stuff like that, it's like a warning sign because this is what the dragon does. Okay, he, he, he tries, all right. If he can't deceive you, he's going to persecute you. And, he, and, he, and, he'll, and he'll kill you for having faith in Jesus Christ. And many nations around the world, Cambodia, all over, you guys know very well, that it, Christians are dying for their faith. They're dying. It, I mean, this last century has been one of the worst centuries, one of the centuries in which the most Christians have been martyred ever. This last century. We kind of think, oh, didn't that only happen in the Roman Empire? No. This last century, millions of Christians have lost their lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. That's called persecution. Okay, that's what the enemy does. And I wonder how many first century Christians bowed their knee to Caesar when they were placed under pressure. I wonder how many of them actually just went, sure, you know what? For the sake of being able to buy food, transact and keep my normal comfortable life, I'll just do this. I'll just do this thing. I'll just compromise in, in some way. We know many didn't, but I wonder. And I wonder, you know, this is a good question to ask. Will we stand? If I had to take you and drop you in Iran, will you still be a Christian? It's a good question to ask. How deep does this gospel go in your heart? How far are you willing to defend it? When your wife's getting killed because of her faith? And you've been told to deny your faith in Jesus? Are you still a Christian? Are you still going to hold on to Jesus? When you've been excluded from the economy in some way, will you still hold on to Jesus? What will it take? Will it take persecution? Will it take deception? Will it take difficult circumstances? Will it take being ostracized? What will it take for you to deny Jesus? And I think that's a good question we all need to settle in our hearts because it's, the, it's a very real question. And I'm not saying that we like, I'm speaking doom, like that's where this world is going. I'm not sure. But I do think it will sift our hearts to know how valuable the gospel is to us. And I think we should all be mindful of that. Can you say amen? amen. So, as I'm concluding this morning, we put on first century glasses, we put on the metaphorical view, we've squeezed this thing, we've got some great principles and meaning. Can we leave it there? No, we can't. <laughs> I'd like to say, okay, we, we got it. You know, we understood what it meant to them. We got this, this revelation of worship and true worship out of it. Let's, let's go home. But we can't. There's another set of glasses through which we haven't viewed this passage, and that is through end times view. Why is this important? Well, because the book of Daniel does allude to more kingdoms beyond just the Roman Empire. There is many other scriptures, which I have been looking at, that actually speak 
of an idea or a resurrection of a kingdom that will establish itself as a global power in the world that will be antichrist and have the spirit of deception at work within it, even a spirit of persecution within it, that will be on earth at the time that Jesus comes back. There's a lot of scriptures that point to that. That there will be a great deception. Jesus even said that in Matthew 24, that there will be a great deception in the end times. Many will fall from the faith. That there could be another empire established. Remember, beasts equal empires or kings. Political, economic structures. You know, when I look at the world today, what I'm seeing is a, is a fast movement towards globalization. Fast movement. There's fast movement in that direction. The advances in technology are also quite exciting, but also quite apocalyptic when we look at them as well. Why? Because I don't think we can only look at the mark of the beast as a metaphorical thing, invisible thing. It's very specific in the book of Revelation that this is a mark that's put in your hand, on your head, and you can't buy or sell without it. That's not mentioned when it talks about the seal of Christ and the mark that God gives. It doesn't talk about it going you know, into the hand, onto the head, and not being able to transact without it. So I do think that there could be a practical application of it. Many nations around the world are experimenting with microchips being implanted in the human body. In Sweden, there's a tech company that puts microchips in its employees' hands. They can enter through doors by just waving their hand in front of the door. They can go to the canteen and buy lunch by just waving their hand over the sensor. This is, we're living in a time now where it's more plausible to believe in the possible resurrection of another beast political economic power that will go for world global control and place something into mankind that will either include or exclude them from the economy and persecute Christians and be against what Christ says and call for us to deny him in some way. It's very, very plausible in the times we're living in. And I, and I mean, and you probably know that that's, there's all these examples going out in the early, in, in the world right now that are signs of this. And so what, what should I, what shall we say about this? Well, this was a very encouraging passage to the first century church. It gave them spiritual context and understanding for how to react. Can you imagine living in the Roman Empire as a Christian? I mean, what were they accused of in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 7? They were accused of preaching that there was another king being contrary to the, ru- the rules of Caesar and that that king's name was Jesus. Okay. That, 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 that mentality all right, that came in there was because they had spiritual context. They, they understood the times that they were in and they knew what to do. They knew that they had to stand firm for Christ. They knew that they had to not deny their faith. They knew that they, they couldn't participate in pagan worship. And, they, and, and because of that, many of them finished strong in their day. I think there were many who might not have finished strong. There might be many who are deceived and saying, you know what, Jesus and Caesar worship are similar. It's okay. It's all right. You know, just keep the peace, bro. You know, like. 
don't go all get radical Jesus on us, you know. Um, and, and the scriptures were warning them not to. Okay? So if that was their attitude in the times that they were living in, what can we take out of the book of the Revelation? Exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. That we could move into times like them, but like them, we can stand firm and hold true to the gospel no matter what comes our way. Whether it's deception or whether it's persecution, this gospel is something we will not compromise on and we will not give up on no matter what. I'll close with the scripture in Hebrews 3. It says the following. It says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. Who is this written to? First century believers. You must warn each other every day, while it is still called today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. That's a word for you and I today. Hold fast. Remember, this was a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. We hold fast to the gospel. We trust in God. We, you know, often the Bible says, don't be deceived. In other words, like you actually have a choice in this. <laughs> How do you get deceived? Well, just stop listening to truth. Stray away from this word, from this scripture. Start building your life on some other philosophy. Start giving yourself to some other cause in this world. There's lots of causes, whether it's Greenpeace or some political ideology. Go give all your attention to that because that's going to save mankind. or whatever. And away from this gospel that's in here. And it's a warning here. Make sure that your heart is not evil and unbelieving and that you do turn away from the living God. Each and every one of us need to make sure that this gospel is in our hearts, people. That it's firmly implanted. That come what may, no matter what happens in the days that I had, you can't, you're not going to get me to get out of Jesus. <laughs> you know? And then it says, warn each other every day. That talks about a community that's looking out for each other. A community that's, that's, that's in, like bringing information and sharing information and, and saying, hey, let's, let's understand the times we're living in. Let's get through this together. Because if we're faithful to the end, it says, trusting God firmly like when we first believed. Let me ask you, do you trust Him today like you trusted Him that first day? Or has your candle light grown dim, your passion, your love grown dim? Are you still just as on fire for Jesus as when you first believed? Faithful to the end, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Amen. Can we stand to our feet? I'm, I'm finished. <clears throat> I'm thinking maybe we should unpack a little bit more next week. Would that be okay? I didn't get through everything today. Maybe we can just talk some more about this. But there is an iConnect that has gone out on, on our WhatsApp number. Um, if you haven't seen it, just click on the links or... Chat to one of us and we can get it to you. But it's just a, a sermon summary and discussion guide for you to go this week in your connect group and, and unpack this a little bit more and talk more and pray with each other. And I would encourage you to do that because we don't really have time for that on Sunday mornings. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word which brings truth and light and direction to our lives.
Father, I pray that you would make us, as every nation Durban, like the sons of Issachar. That they understood the times that they were in and they knew what to do. Lord, I'm praying for us as a church and for every church and every believer in the city today. Put us on the front foot, Dad. Bless us with wisdom and insight like Daniel had. May we see the days ahead, Father God. And, we know, and may we know what to do, Lord. And I pray, Father, that nothing will cause us to sway or pull back from this beautiful gospel. That we would not mix it with anything, Lord God. With any other philosophy, belief or religion or even our own ideas. But may we call that as what it is, which is satanic. May we hold firm to this gospel, Lord. May I pray that none may be lost in our midst, Lord God. That we would all finish our race, finish it strong, and see the reward that is waiting for us. Those crowns that are waiting for us. Because we ran our race and we held fast. We did not let go of the faith. I pray for strengthening of your body today. I pray for blessing of your body today. I pray for wisdom. I pray for understanding. I drive out the spirit of deception that's at work. I declare you have no hold over this church, over the minds of these believers. I pray, Father, now that no spirit of deception will cause us to wander away or give in to anything that's being proclaimed in this world. We drive that out in the name of Jesus. In the authority of Jesus Christ, we drive it out. And we thank you, Father, that we are a people of the truth. We live in the truth and we walk in the truth. Strengthen every man and woman, I pray, Lord God. Bless every man and woman and child in our midst, Lord God. May the favor of the Lord be upon you, church. In the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen, amen, amen. All right, bless you, church. Thank you for joining Church Online today. We hope that you were inspired and challenged by today's message. We would like to encourage you to join one of our connect groups where you can make friends and discuss the word further. You can message us on 072-606-6747 to join a connect group or to send us any prayer needs you might have. To give your tithes and offering, please visit our website www.endurban.org to get our bank details and zapper code. Have a safe and blessed week.